some reason, unbeknownst to me, uh, I go into a season or a time of deep reflection with the Lord. And it's usually personal reflection. And um, I love it. I don't think that it's bad. I don't think it's negative. It's not like, um, you know, isolated or, you know, whatever. Uh, but it's just a time where I can be honest before the Lord and he can be honest with me. You know, I'm kind of like search me and know me type of guy, David. Search me and know me, Lord. See if there be any wicked ways in me. Search my soul. Tell me the truth, God. And, of course, the idea would be to keep that going throughout the year. But I don't know if you're anything like me. It sometimes get lo- it gets lost. It gets, you know, that whole element of just... Uh, um, you know, reflecting and asking the Lord those pointed, hard questions about your own life. It gets lost. I try to maintain it. But I've noticed that around October, November, December, I get into a heightened, you know, sense of reflection personally. And so um, in praying about what to speak about today, I, feel, I felt like the Lord was saying, Daryl, get back to the basics. Get back to the basics. And it's so easily, especially in full-time ministry, but not just in full-time ministry. In life in general, it's so easy to get distracted, to get busy, to get just caught up in the day-to-day work schedule, ministry schedule, life schedule, parenting schedule. And somehow, some way, not even like your mind is connected to the fact that you are, you're losing that place. Not losing it, but you're drifting away from the, the most important place. You know, the one important scripture I think that kind of describes it the most for me is in Luke chapter 10, uh, 38 through 42, and it's a story of uh, uh, Martha and Mary, right? We all know this story. Jesus is about ready to visit uh, their house, and of course, Martha goes into prep mode. It's like the Son of God, I don't know, I would probably do the same thing, you know, the Son of God's coming to my house, let's just, let's get everything in, in place, and uh, you know, cleaned up, you know, lift the couch, you know, sweep underneath. It's just she goes buck. She goes an absolute, uh, you know, just focused on preparing for the Lord's visit. And so we see that the Lord comes and visits them and sits down, essentially starts talking to his disciples. And unfortunately, Mary decides to just hang out at Jesus' feet. And this frustrates Martha. And she actually pipes up. She goes, Jesus, you know, have you noticed that I've been serving and preparing and getting the food ready, getting the house, and my sister is just sitting at your feet, listening to you talk, fixed on you. Don't you think, Jesus, she should help me? And Jesus says, listen, in 42, I'm sorry, 41, this was the Lord's reply of Luke chapter 10. It says, but the Lord said to her, dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. How many can connect with that, man? I can just, re- I can just recall this week being so worried about the details, <laughs> the details of life. And uh, he goes, there's only one thing wrong. I'm sorry. There's only th- one thing worth being concerned about, Mary. I'm sorry, Martha. And Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. And so, essentially, Jesus doesn't, you know, kind of you know, step on Mary's toes or kind of rebuke Mary or tell Mary, yeah, Mary, you should be going to work and help Martha prepare. He says, listen, Mary has discovered that which is important, and it's me. (laughs) So don't sweat the details. Martha, come back to what's important. Come back and sit at my feet, even. Of course, Jesus didn't say that, but essentially in his retort, you can get that feeling. And so as I was preparing this sermon, there is... For me, and it doesn't have to be the same way for you, but for me, there is no other uh, um, 
uh, text or chapter or, or uh, Bible verses that work for me and bringing me back to the basics other than John chapter 15. Okay, I know I opened with Luke chapter 10, but John chapter 15, Jesus' word about abiding in him, it really just gets me focused. And I'm sure if you searched back uh, throughout our history, two-year history as a church, you would find probably a message October, November, maybe December that I preached that is founded in John 15. And so when I go into reflection, when I go into a time of reflection with the Lord, usually he brings me, or usually just even in my mind, I go directly towards this particular chapter. How many have your uh, word with you today? How many are sporting iPads today? Lift them up proud. That's right, okay, you tech, technological stuff. Okay, how many still have the paperback? Come on, paperback, woo! Okay, don't hate me, don't judge me. I left the paper at home, okay? I, I love, I, I prefer to preach from the paper, from the, the actual, you know, crimpling and ruffling of the pages, the smell. I love it, but I don't have it, so don't judge me. I gotta, I gotta be using my iPad today, and that could be a little tricky because I usually highlight things and things that are important, and so I have the iPad, and I haven't highlighted it. Anyways, okay, let's start right here in verse 1 of John chapter 15. This is Jesus speaking the words in red. Jesus starts off by saying, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he burns the branches that, I'm sorry, he prunes, excuse me, See, this is why I don't like uh, iPads, because I'm reading the NLT, and then like Tourette's kicks in on the iPad, and it goes to the ASV. Let's just, bear with me. It's got a mind of its own. It cast a demon out of it. Okay. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Verse 4, Jesus goes on to say, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me, and I am them, will produce what? Much fruit. That's what my translation says. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Verse 7, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want. Somebody just, let's just think about that. <laughs> let's just, just get, I mean, let's just pause and think about what Jesus had just said right there in verse 7. I really want us to pause. If you could, just, if you have to close your eyes, just go into a time of thinking. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. This is the Son of God speaking. Verse 8, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. Wow. Jesus. So for me, Jesus starts off with giving us an analogy, you know, if you would. 
he compares the Father God to a gardener. He compares himself to a vine, and he tells us that we are that vine's branches. And it appears to me that God has the job of caretaker. God's, God's the guy walking around making sure that the garden is good, you know, and it's bearing not just some fruit, but Jesus says much fruit. Jesus is the vine, right? Now, we zone in here on these verses and we find what God the Father's uh, job is in that garden, if you would. And it's to cut away that which doesn't produce fruit and it's to prune that which does so that it can bear more. Now, the temple household, we kind of, uh, four years ago, bought this place. The temple household, that's my household, just in case you were wondering. We bought this place with a lot of plants. Oh, my God. I mean, it is just everywhere. My first year, I loved it. Not so sure how I feel about it now. (laughs) Glory to God. But in May, every year, we have these eight trees that line the left side of our property. I don't know. I'm not a gardener, so kind of am a gardener by force. I kind of had to. But I don't know what this particular tree is. It stands about six feet tall. And in May, right around my son's birthday, it buds this beautiful white flower. I mean, this beautiful white, viney kind of flower. Small, but there's thousands of them. It almost reminds me of like a wedding. Like somebody should just get married and walk through them. And so it was about two years ago uh, that... Because you understand, I get very excited when these things come into, uh, when these, come, these things bear, bear their color. And it's right around the time of my son's birthday, so we're having an outdoor party. I'm like, yeah, look at my plants. Yeah, you like that, don't you? You want some of those, don't you? Yeah, but they're at my house. No, but I really like them. I really love them. And there was one year where I noticed, I was like, man, those, those guys just aren't coming in strong, honey. I mean, they were coming in, don't get me wrong, they were, they were coming in, but it wasn't like the first or second year that we lived there. And so, you know, my mind goes quickly to scripture, I'm like, John chapter 15, let's do it. I'm getting the hedge clipper out, he prunes, you know, and I just start, I just start ravishing these plants, I just buck, and my wife is like, what are you doing? I'm like, honey, I'm just trying to, you know, prune. I'm trying, this is my, I'm pruning. And after my job, after the job was done, man, you just looked in the yard and you're just like, wow, you really made a mess. You really made a mess. And I was like, yeah, maybe I should have left it. And anyways, at any rate, I didn't. But you know what? Come that next year around May. Those plants, man, they just were beautiful, and they came in strong, and they came in beautiful. They were a vibrant color. You just, you could not mistake them. It wasn't like that prior year where it was like, I don't know if those things are really, you know, you know, up to this year. They came in good. You know, sometimes through pruning, uh, essentially things can look very ugly. You know, they can look like, oh, no, maybe we should have left that alone. They can look very unbeautiful, not beautiful. But yet, come the new season where it's time for those, those, that plant life to bud, man, it comes in strong. And it doesn't just come in strong, it comes in more stronger than what it was in the first place. Now, I understand that God's job is to prune us, and our job is to remain in the vine. So let's go a little further here. 
I said uh, briefly in John chapter 2, Jesus identifies God as the caretaker, and his job is to cut away and to prune. His job is to cut away that which does not produce fruit and to prune for that which does to bear even more. John chapter, I'm sorry, remain in me and I in you. John chapter 15, 4, let's just look at that one more time. And I don't know why my iPad keeps on going back to the ASV, but it's, I'm not lying. It just went back. John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. The word remain here in the Greek, or I should back up and say, in the King James Version, actually, the word uh, was abide, and they replaced it in the NLT and other translation, but that's the root word out of the King James. And then the meaning, the Greek meaning of this word is meno, and this is what it means in the Greek. It means to remain, uh, to continue to be present, to be held, held, excuse me, kept continually in reference to time, to continue to be, to not to perish but to last, to endure, to survive, to live, in reference to state or condition, to remain as one, not to become another or different. I love this last explanation or this last meaning. It says to wait for or to await one. So essentially, some scholars would break down its original meaning as Jesus is inviting us into a place of unbroken fellowship with you, with him, excuse me. Fellowship that never is broken, never is cut, but it remains. It consistently goes out through time in our lives. Jesus invites us. And I, I understand, you know, I, I, this is like a real key uh, scripture for me in my life. It's like a life verse, a life chapter, I would say, even beyond that. And I, I, I've said those words of how Jesus, through this, as we look at the root meaning of the word uh, abide or remain, as Jesus inviting us into a place of unbroken fellowship. People have come to me with deep concern because the thoughts are this, how can I remain in unbroken fellowship with God or Jesus? How can I remain? You don't understand, Daryl. I've literally had students come to me, you know, parents. and You understand, Daryl, I'm a parent. I'm like, yeah, I am too. I get it. And then I have students, do you understand what my campus, what going to school requires of me? What do you mean unbroken fellowship? And I just want to break it down to its simple layman language here. Jesus is simply inviting us into a place of unbroken fellowship. And we can bring that into our campus. We can bring that into the workplace. We can bring that into our family, into our parenting. See, we have this idea, and I get caught there too, that, that remaining or abiding in him happens within a four wall you know, or in a prayer service or in a time where we've, we're going to the house of God to be with God. And it doesn't. See, what Jesus is simply saying is, I want to be part of your every day, every life, every circumstance, every situation, your parenting, your schools, your academics. I want to be in there with you. I want to be with you. And so if you look at Jesus' life, you find, listen, Jesus was a Hebrew rock star, guys. I mean, he had thousands of people always around him, people pulling at him, doing miracles, working things out, opening blind eyes, raising the dead. I mean, he was busy. But he himself models throughout the gospel what it means to abide 
and remain. And now he invites all those who are listening in John chapter 15 to do the same. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. It's very possible. I love the way that the message puts it. In John chapter 15, verse 4, the message says this, Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined to me. I love that. Jesus has made his home in us, right? And now he's inviting us to make our home in him. That's powerful. The idea here is that Christ gives us the invitation to live in him as he lives in us. To remain living in him as to have constant unbroken fellowship with him. Why? Because without remaining in him, you and I can do nothing. Isn't that what Jesus says? Depart from me, friend. You can do nothing. How many can attest to that? How many can attest to those very words? Man, I feel like I could do nothing. Nothing right. Nothing worth. That. Not, I just, I don't have the answers. I don't have the right words for my wife. I don't know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to focus and bring, you know, church and schooling and make it all work out. I don't know what to do. It's because apart from Christ, we can do nothing. Nothing that is fruitful, at least. This is to say that nothing, or when we say nothing, nothing that really truly glorifies God, because that's what the issue is about in remaining in him without getting too far ahead of myself. The heart behind this, the heart behind John chapter 15, the first eight, eight verses at least, is that Jesus really desires his followers to bear fruit. Not just some fruit, but much fruit. John chapter 15, 8. And just as Jesus interfaced with the Father this way, he calls his father, followers to do the same. Remember in the beginning of the text, Jesus uses himself as the example the example of abiding in the Father, that the Father may cut away all that doesn't bear fruit and prune everything that does so that it can bear more fruit. Three things I take away from the first eight verses, and we're going somewhere here, so just hold on. One, we said in the beginning that God is our caretaker. He's the person at work in our lives and the work of Jesus' lives. Jesus' life, and he wants to tend to the work in our garden. Two, Jesus is the vine, we are the branch of fruit, of which fruit is produced. For as we remain in the vine, Jesus, if we cease to remain in him, we are cut off. I mean, that is a scary thing. Matter of fact, if we look at most commentary, when Jesus says, um, that which doesn't produce fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire. The commentary on that saying, on that scripture verse, is absolutely scary. I'm not going to get into it because it would scare us. It would scare us to be a wrong direction. Uh, but, but we want to be people that remain in the vine to produce fruit for the glory of God. See, Jesus' zeal here is that his followers would bear much fruit, an abundance of fruit. So that in the same way Christ brought glory to his Father... Through the fruit of his life, we, his followers, his true disciples, would do likewise. See, the issue is over fruit. 
The issue is over fruit with Jesus here. Why? Why do I say that? Well, let's, let's look at, uh, real quickly, at the end of uh, verse, on the, let's look at verse 8. Verse 8 of John chapter 15. Jesus says, when you produce much fruit, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. You are identified as my followers. You are my true disciples. This brings, this is the nugget here, this brings the Father great glory. What brings the Father great glory when we produce much fruit? See, the issue is over fruit. The issue of abiding is an issue of bearing fruit that brings glory to God. Now, I'm not talking about peaches and apples and, and, and such. If you study the word fruit, you will find the ministry of Jesus, nothing but the ministry of Jesus in regards to the signs, wonders, and miracles that he walked in. Essentially, this is what I'm trying to say. Jesus is saying produce much fruit. What he's saying is you will walk in what I walked in and you will have power, the power that I had. And the reason I will give this to you is that you can bear fruit, fruit that is lasting and fruit that will bring glory to the Father. Now, if you don't believe me, let's go back a chapter to chapter 14. Is everybody all right? And my iPad is, oh, Lord Jesus. See, this is why paper just rules. Okay. That's what, it's, that's what it's come to. Let's go back to John chapter 14. Starting in, the ver- and starting in verse 8. This is a conversation now with Philip. Started with Thomas, but now Jesus segues, segues into answering Philip's question. This is Philip's question in verse 8. Philip said, Lord... Show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Verse 9, Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father? That I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Again, we see some of the same language on that word end that he in that he uses in John chapter 15. Verse 11, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least, here's Jesus pleading with Philip. And you can almost sense some tension and a little bit, a little bit of frustration, a dash. Not, not a frustration that's angry or intolerant of Philip's disbelief or his position. But a little bit that just says, guys, how, how, how long must I be with you to get this? And so Jesus in verse 11 says, listen, if you're not going to believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. Then he goes on in verse 12 to say, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. Let's read that again. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And even greater works, even greater works, because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory. Again, so the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask of me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Remarkable words. This is why it cannot connect to... uh, the whole idea that the power of God no longer exists for the church today. 
I mean, Jesus is playing. And, and remember here, he says anyone. He doesn't see just my disciples. He says anyone who chooses to believe in me will do the works that I have done. Not just the works that I've done, but greater works. Jesus is tying this in to his ministry. The power of God that rests upon him to do the works of God. Essentially to bring glory to God. In John 14, 8, in the first half of verse 10 of John chapter 14, Jesus uses, again, similar language with Philip that he uses in John 15. When he explains to Philip that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And this is how he chooses to illustrate and explain this oneness or this reflection. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, John chapter 15. And then he goes on in 14 to say, remain in me, and I will remain in you. Christ goes on to explain that he can do nothing on his own accord. Remember, all through the gospel, Jesus said, listen, I don't just speak because I think I should. I speak what I hear. I don't just, I don't just perform and do works because it may be a good idea. I do them because the Father initiates in me to do them. He, he works through me. I do nothing apart from him. Now, in verses 12, 13, and 14 of chapter 14, excuse me, I know it's a lot of verses, but just hold on tight with me, of the book of John, are amazing in light of our discussion this evening. Again, we'd have to conclude that there might be just a dash of frustration in Jesus when he goes on to say, listen, if you just can't believe that the Father is in me, and when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Believe because the things that I do, the works that I've performed. And in this case, I would like to suggest that Jesus is inspiring or redirecting, redirecting excuse me, Philip's disbelief with a statement he made in verse 12, and it's this, that anyone who believes in him will do the same works as him and even greater works than he did, they will do. In other words, Jesus first states that if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. And then he goes on again, I can't get this through enough, to say if you haven't or if you can't believe that you've seen me or you've seen the Father through seeing me, then just believe because of the works I've done. Again, let's boil this down to why is this so important to Jesus again in chapter 14 like it was in chapter 15. It's important to Jesus because he desires, he is consumed, he has great zeal and it's for this. He has great zeal for the Father to be glorified through the works of the church like the Father was glorified through the works of Jesus. The important thing is none of this happens outside of abiding in him. None of power answers, and I'm not power hungry. Listen, uh, it, it, Jesus diffuses anyone with the statement that he makes that this fruit is to be brought forth through the work so that God can be glorified. He diffuses any kind of place within me that would seek my own glory from moving in the power of God. And that's the one thing I think that's wrong in the charismatic church. Instead of it being attributed to the glorification of the Father, it's get, it gets attributed to the person. 
And see, Jesus diffuses that. He says, no, 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 no. It's not about the person. (laughs) It's about my father being glorified. You know, I can't help but think, being a pastor now for a couple years, and even beyond that, being in the ministry for 15, how many people come to me on a daily, a daily basis and give me their woes in life? You know, uh, you know there's, there's, I, I just don't know when my time's coming. I don't know when the Lord's going to call me to ministry. Or I don't know when my finances are going to work out. I don't know when my family's going to get it together, when I'm going to be able to click with my wife or my husband. And there's all these sorts of problems, even remaining in being in the church. There's all these uh, situations that take place where we just get to the place in our hearts where we're like, God, we need your power. God, we we don't have the ability. We can do nothing here for these situations and these circumstances. And what I've come to realize is that the power of God, the works of God, the fruit of God simply come through abiding. So what do I mean by that? You can't simply just go out and buy the book, our books, on the 10 steps to get uh, uh, a bigger ministry or 10 steps to reconcile your wife. They're good, or reconcile wives and husbands or whatever, or how to train your kids or whatnot. Really, the true answer comes when we abide in Christ. We, we have all these things trying to help us, all these triggers, all these books, all these websites, all these things, and all of them, I think, are very good. But I think... What we can learn here from even these, verse, these eight verses is that, is that Jesus is saying, listen, if you want some answers, if you want some fruit, abide in me. Abide in me. And don't, don't leave that place. Don't leave. But unfortunately, when things become hard, when things become stagnant, when things become difficult, it gets lost. That heart posture of abiding gets lost. Am I the only one there? I know for me personally, and I'll throw myself out on the cutting block, (laughs) safe policy. Let me just grab a drink. For me personally, whenever I get into a place of discouragement, maybe it's in the family, maybe it's in the ministry, Maybe it's in my finances, but when I come to that place, I check out. I'm like, Lord, I've done everything possible. I've done any, anything and everything that I know to do. And God constantly brings me back, but Daryl, have you abided in me? Or have you, have you let these situations dictate your course? Have you let these situations dictate the outcome? Daryl, why, why don't you just try carving some time out and be with me? Why don't you just try taking an hour, two hours, three hours, four hours, whatever. But the heart is, is that we remain in Christ. We abide in Christ for that's where fruit is brought forth in our life. Now, if you doubt me in terms of this fruit thing, let's, let's just look real quickly at Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it briefly. But let's get to the root of what Jesus is trying to say here, or what Jesus is not trying to say, what he is saying. And it's found really in verse 13 of Matthew 5 through 16. Let me find it here. Matthew, sorry, iPads. It's so much easier with the uh, 13. 
This is Jesus talking about salt and light. He says here in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is it if the salt has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? No, it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Again, you get that whole idea of those branches that were cut off, that were useless and worthless to God. Verse 14, you are the light of the world, a city on a hilltop. just saying it says there there that's where we got from like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket instead the lamp is placed on the stand where it can give light to everyone in the house verse 16 in the same way let your good deeds or as in the king james version says let your good works let your fruit shine out for all to see so that everyone, why? So that everyone, everyone will praise or give glory to your heavenly Father. The New Testament, the gospel is filled with these statements that Jesus makes where he ties together works, and I'm not talking about works that try to gain favor with God. I'm talking about works that give God glory or give God praises. I'm talking about the works that Jesus did on earth, the greater works that he calls us into. These works bring glory. And all throughout the New Testament, the gospel, you find that these two are closely connected. That works bring glory to God. And Jesus' desire is that we remain in him so those works can be done. You know, I, I just, I'll be honest, as a pastor, I'm just so tired of doing things in my own strength. And honestly, when I survey or when I look at the church experience in our nation, I'm not saying everywhere, but particularly in Massachusetts, I become very grieved in my heart. And it's not like an annoyance. It's not like, it's not an anger. I'm just saddened that the church has yet to move in the power of God. One, because of our theological differences, reconciling that even if the power of God even exists for today, and I know it's heavy here in Massachusetts. And then two, just kind of rationalizing away because we never see it. It's just like it doesn't exist. We've never seen it, God. Where the real issue is here in John chapter 15, which Jesus so beautifully articulates and puts it out there for us. That if we would simply learn not to build bigger buildings, not to learn to build bigger organizations, not to learn to build bigger, bigger clubs and small groups, but just a church that would believe and remain in Jesus the vine. And I'm not a glory hungry, I'm not a, like, you know, let's just move in the power of God. I don't, I don't have that type of attitude, but I have a desire I have a desire. It's not like 
I'm like a glory-hungry person. I have a desire to see the manifest presence of God come through a people who know how to abide and the one who gives that manifest presence to the church. It's not enough that I go to pray for a sick person and nothing happens for me. I don't know. That is just, it grieves my heart. Grieves my heart. It's not enough for me just to be like, well, you know, maybe, maybe in a couple days, sister, you'll get better, you know, or, you know, just you know, healing is progressive. You understand that Jesus merely just said, get up and walk. Yeah. Get up and walk. Yeah. Yeah. Open your eyes. Yeah. He didn't sit there and try to reason and just be like, please, please, God, open these eyes, please. You know, no, he said, be open. Lazarus come forth. You didn't see him wasting much time with useless language. He spoke and it was done. And then according to John 14, I have to believe. I don't just have to believe. I do believe that when Jesus says we can do the works that he did, but not just the works he did, even greater, I have to believe that the door is wide open. The potential of the church is great. But are we abiding in the source? Are we abiding in the man who actually causes the fruit to grow? The issue for me here is to raise up a people who know how to abide in Christ. Not just give him the leftovers. I don't want to just give Jesus the leftovers of my time. When it fits in Jesus, I will be there. All right, Jesus, you know, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to, you ever done this? I'm just going to lay on my bed. Lord, speak to me. No, no, I, Lord, I, you're just going to speak to me in my dreams. I, I've been there, man. I just, just yesterday, I probably, I did that. I was so tired. And I was just like, Lord, I want to be with you. I go there to be with the Lord. Of course, I get a little bored. I'm like, okay, God, I'm just going to lay down. And you're just going to, yeah, here we are, Lord. And then, wouldn't you know, a couple minutes later, I'm out like a light. I don't want to just give Jesus the leftovers, friend. I want to abide. I want to remain in unbroken fellowship with Jesus. And the main purpose here for the fruit that I want to be bared or harvested in my life only comes through one means and one heart desires that God can get the glory. Jesus wants to make the Lord famous through the works of the church, friend. And it can only come through abiding and remaining in Him. Back to the basics. What's important for us, guys? What's important for you today? It's just to merely get by. Just to merely just scrape into heaven. Not that I, I don't believe that's bad theology, but you know what I'm saying. You just, you know, oh, Lord, I'm just going to do enough to get by. Just going to do enough. Just enough, Lord. Not too much, not too little. What do you want in your life? I'm not trying to manipulate you or beat you up, but what do you want out of your life? I know what I want for mine. And that is found in John chapter 15. I want to abide in Jesus. And I want the fruit of my life to be great. And I want, to, I want the works for my life to be even greater. Even greater than the Son of God's. <laughs> that's that's it. Did you hear what I just said? Okay. <laughs> In some churches, you could be stoned to death for saying that. But luckily, the Lord said it. 
and he's inviting us into it. Listen, Hilltop has been called to be an anomaly in this city. We're not called to just be people who get by and give Jesus the scraps. We are called to extravagantly, generously give it all, like Matthew was talking about today. And I want to invite you into what Jesus invited us into thousands of years ago. I want to invite you into a place of unbroken fellowship with the Father. You bow your heads with me. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word, God. And we even thank you for the weakness, Lord, and the communication. But God, we know in our weakness that your strength is made known, it's seen. And so God, we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen this word within us this evening. And God, that within our hearts, Lord, there would be an appetite for you, God, that we would see ourselves becoming very hungry, becoming very thirsty for the presence and the person of Christ. I thank you, Lord, that you've called Hilltop Church not to just do nice sermons, not to just do nice music, but you've called us, Lord, to be a company that abides in you. Lord, a company that produces much fruit, a company, God, that moves in the power of Christ. And so, Lord, we know, God, that this only comes through and by remaining and staying and living in you. So, Jesus, I ask, help us, God. Help us, Lord. When we're alone, God, and we want to check out, God, rather than giving you that time, rather than hearing your voice, rather than being in your presence, help us, Jesus. Help us, Jesus, as a body to make you first place, God, to make you first in our lives, first in our decisions, God, first in counseling, first, God, in reading your word and devoting our lives to you. Jesus, Boston just doesn't need another church. Cambridge just doesn't need another church, God. Cambridge needs the power of the Lord. Cambridge needs to see the fruit of the gospel, the fruit of the church, walking in the power of God. And I ask, Lord, let us be those who lay hold of abiding, God, in you for the greater things, for the greater things like God being glorified in the earth, God being famous in the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen, I know it's a struggle.